Let us settle ourselves in for an encounter with the living God through scripture. Would you pray with me? God of mercy, you promise never to break your covenant with us. Amid all the changing words of our generation, speak your eternal word that does not change. Then may we respond to your gracious promises with faithful and obedient lives through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. This morning, our Old Testament lesson comes from the Psalms, number 118. We'll be reading verses 1 to 2 and then proceeding from 19 to 29. Let us listen now for God's word to us this day. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is, the, it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we beseech you, O Lord. O Lord, we beseech you, give us success. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God and he has given us light. Bind the festal processions with branches up to the horns of the altar. You are my God and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today's gospel reading comes from the gospel of Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11, a familiar passage for this Palm Sunday. Listen now for God's word to you and to me. When they had come near Jerusalem and had reached Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say this, the Lord needs them, and he will send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet, saying, tell the daughter of Zion, look, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and that followed him were shouting,
when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil, asking, who is this? The crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. The word of the Lord. There are two processions, two processions taking place today. One comes from the west and the other comes from the east. From the east, Jesus is riding down from the Mount of Olives with his disciples and a large crowd in tow. While from the west, another procession makes its way through town. This one led by Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor of the region. The timing of both processions is not by accident. Jesus and his followers are coming to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover, the holiest week of the Jewish year. And with hundreds of thousands of Jews streaming into Jerusalem, Pilate Pilate wants to be there not out of any sense of reverence or awe. He wants to be there to stop any potential trouble the crowds might cause. Pilate's procession is an awesome display of power. Quite a contrast to Jesus entering on a humble donkey. Following Pilate are cavalry on horseback, foot soldiers marching in line, and men in leather armor and shining helmets with weapons and impressive banners, sunlight glinting off the golden eagles mounted on poles. It's quite a display, and everyone in Jerusalem could hear it. Their synchronized marching, the clip-clop of the horses, and the beating of the drums. While across town, Jesus, on his humble donkey, barely makes a sound, clopping its way down streets now lined with scraggly palm branches and the cloaks off people's backs. The only sounds to be heard in Jesus' procession are the shouts of Hosanna, save us, and the repeated question, who is this? There are two processions taking place today, and we have to pick one. One holds up the values of security, power, and status. It's a procession whose intent is to strike fear into the hearts of anyone who dare defy it. It's a procession cozy with the state, complicit with injustice, and comfortable, really comfortable with the status quo of things. The other procession lifts up the values of humility and kindness and love and gratitude. It's a procession whose intent is to inspire the people. It's a procession that terrifies the state calls out for change, and gives hope to those without hope. It's a procession that puts us on our knees, not out of fear, but out of reverence. Some years ago, writer and pastor Lillian Daniel was going through a vocational crisis after a successful run as a nationally recognized preacher and author things were no longer so clear for her. As she struggled to figure out where God was calling her to go, she got this idea, it popped in her head, that she needed to go 
to Thailand. Her friends thought she was nuts. Her family discouraged her and questioned her decision. But this only made Lillian more determined to make the long journey. She connected with an acquaintance who had a house on a remote beach in Thailand, a house that could only be reached by boat, and she arranged for the trip. Lillian's son was with her for that first week, and they had a blast together. But then Lillian's son went home, leaving her alone in paradise, alone with God, alone with her thoughts and questions and doubts, alone with her uncertain future and all the fears it brought up, alone, it turns out, with an infection she was getting, she had received from a cut in her leg. A few days into the second week, with the infection getting worse, Lillian knew she had made a huge mistake coming to Thailand. Frantically, she called the airlines, hoping to book a flight home as soon as possible, but they couldn't get her on a plane for a week. So she was stuck in a place where she knew no one, didn't speak the language, and desperately needed medical care. With no other options, Lillian let down her guard and did something very difficult for her, for us. She asked for help. She found people who could care for her and let them do just that in their own way. And this laying down of her competence, her self-reliance, her independence was a transformative experience for her. She realized she had been right to make the journey. She did need to go to Thailand, just not for the reasons she had originally thought. There are two processions taking place today. One's a victory march. The other's a funeral procession. Pilate has come to town with the intent of being the victor here. Jesus has come to town prepared to die. He has come to lay down his power, to lay down his life, to lay down his privileges. And he invites us who follow him to do the same. I've always been intrigued by these folks that choose to go to Jesus' procession and not pilots. I'm also intrigued by what they chose to do when they got there. Yes, they waved their palm branches. We know about that. And they shouted, Hosanna, save us. But they also did something else, something we don't celebrate every year. They took off their jackets, took off their cloaks, and placed them on the ground. As Jesus made his way through the streets of Jerusalem, people laid down their only protection against the cold winter wind and the summer's scorching sun. They laid down the garment, the outer garment that declared their status and their wealth and their privilege. They stripped down, in a sense, to their common shared humanity in the hope that Jesus really was the one who had come to save them. It can easily get lost amidst all the pomp and circumstance, the, the palms and the shouts of Hosanna, but I think each and every Palm Sunday, we are invite, invited and encouraged to do the same thing those people that first Palm Sunday did. Every year as we join Jesus' procession and reject Pilate's, a procession that we choose to be on that leads not to victory, but to the cross. And in time, eventually, an empty tomb. Every year when we join Christ on that journey, we are invited to take off our cloaks 
and to lay them down, to lay down our degrees, our varsity letters, our well-earned credentials, our titles, our achievements, anything we think for a moment has the power to save us. We are invited, encouraged to lay it all down, to strip down to our common shared humanity in the hope that Jesus really is the one, the only one, who can save us. It was the spring of 1963 in Birmingham, Alabama, and the civil rights movement was on its heels. On that day, it looked as if the powers of racism and segregation might win again. That's until the young people, the children, joined in the great procession. Right after worship on a Sunday morning, right after worship ended, thousands of young people streamed out of Birmingham's new Pilgrim Baptist Church to follow Jesus on his way to creating God's new kingdom here on earth. As the throng of young people made their way through town all along the roads and the sidewalks, mothers and fathers and grandmothers and grandfathers sang hymns. They quoted scripture. They prayed aloud, shouting, don't give up. God is with you. As the young marchers approached the line of police officers and dogs, the notorious Bull Connor, Birmingham's public safety commissioner, walked out to confront the youth, shouting for the firemen to ready their hoses. The line of young people in their procession came face to face with Connor and his. They came face to face with no protection, no titles, no status, no shield or weapons. But they did have something special with them that day, the spirit of the living God. That was God's procession making its way down that street, and they got down on their knees and they prayed. And after the prayer, the young Reverend Charles Billups stood up and shouted, Turn on your water, turn loose your dogs, we will stand here until we die. A few moments later, Billups and the young people walked forward. The procession kept moving. And as you know, the hoses dropped, the firemen parted, and the victory was won. There are two processions taking place today, and we've got to pick one. One says victory, success, life comes through displays of power, competency, and strength. The other says that victory comes through one thing, God's redeeming love. I've always wondered what compelled the people in the crowd to take off their cloaks and lay them at the feet of Jesus. Some likely did it because they believed he might actually be the long-awaited king. But I wonder if others were taking off their cloaks and laying them on the ground because they knew that these heavy garments would get in the way of following Jesus, of following him to his throne. Perhaps they intuited that his procession really was like no other procession they'd ever been in. For on this road, on this way, the road that belongs to Jesus, no swords will be drawn, no battles will be declared, and no enemies defeated. Perhaps those in the crowd took off their cloaks so they could follow Jesus. Here's another way to look at it. Imagine Jesus calling out to you 
from the other side of a fast-moving river. When you hear him call your name, you're so excited. You're wearing your cloak that protects you, that identity that gives you status and comfort and peace. You hear Jesus calling your names, and without thinking about it, you're compelled. You jump into the water, ready to swim, eager to swim across to him. You'd be fine for a few strokes as you go along with your cloak, but in time, quickly, that same cloak that had before protected you would now be weighing you down in the water, pulling you down into the current. It wouldn't take too long for you to realize that the only way to cross that river, the only way to get to the other side, is to shed your cloak and let it fall to the river's bottom. Years ago, Sam Wells received a visit from a man he barely knew. He was the CEO of a prominent corporation in the city Wells served as a pastor. Wells had met the man a few times, and every time he had met him, he noticed that he always looked a little bit disheveled in spite of his many accomplishments in his place. The day the man dropped by, he sat in the corner of Wells' study, chewing his fingernails and holding rather nervously a homemade cassette tape. Remember those things? Okay. Wells says, I guessed really quickly, small talk wasn't what my visitor had come for. The man finally said, Pastor, I've come to see you because there's no one else I can tell. I want to be a Christian. But in my world, that's like saying you're crazy. Last night I got up and I made this tape. And it says what I want to say, all I want to say. And I want to leave it with you now because there's no one else I can give it to. And he handed over the tape trembling. After the man left, Wells put the tape in a tape player and pressed play. He heard the sound of the CEO clearing his throat, and then after a long silence, he cleared his throat again. And then to Wells' astonishment, this proud, accomplished man, so successful in all the ways of the world, began to sing he began to sing the simplest of songs. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Amen.